Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 86, which begins with Max closing in on Toe Cutter, and it ends with Toe Cutter being flattened by an 18-wheeler. And today we are actually joined for the first time ever by a special guest, Mr. Alex Robinson from the Star Wars Minute. Greetings, everyone. It's me, Alex Robinson. (laughs) It is remarkable that a little humdrum podcast like ours that we were able to get such a heavy hitter as yourself and uh i should probably stop being so flattering because it's gonna get tired if i keep doing it (laughs) oh i don't know about that yeah a little flattery goes a long way exactly as a we a little flattery to start off an episode with a little bit of flattening oh nice don't encourage me So, we pick up where we left off last Friday. Max is in the process of catching up to Toe Cutter because Toe Cutter has taken off like the the brave conquering individual that he is, Rick said, dripping with sarcasm. And we get a good like 15 seconds of the first quarter of this minute is just Max driving all out to catch up to Toe Cutter, which, let's see, when we were talking about it, Last Friday, I think we estimated that Toe Cutter had about a three to four mile lead on Max because he spent so much time limping back to the black on black. Yeah, Max was at a real disadvantage, you know, having his knee shot out. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. But he is the title character, which gives him a slight edge. Yeah, he is a... What's that thing where the title characters are granted special immunity? It's um, plot shielding? Is that what it's called? Hmm, sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds accurate. Uh, For lack of better reference material (laughs) and lack of forethought, I guess, we'll just go with that. He's got plot plot armor. There we go. So he is putting the hammer down, opening up the supercharger, going as fast as he can to catch up to this motorcycle. And we get this amazing sped up shot as Max closes the distance on the back of Toe Cutter's motorcycle. We've seen this several times and this spot specifically, it was especially obvious because Julia, even you noticed it. I did. And I don't usually notice those kinds of things. I'm not actually very observant. I usually take movies kind of as a whole, which has made this process very interesting for me. Um, but this one was really, it really stood out to me, the, the sped up shot. Yeah, no, I'm guessing that's all, isn't, it's all done with practical effects, right? Yeah. Or at so, least sl- slowing down the camera speed or whatever, the shutter speed. Yeah, when we were listening to the crew commentary, they were talking about how they filmed it in about 20 frames per second. And then when they ramped it up to the full 30 for the theatrical release, that's when they get this sped up thing. And it makes sense that they would want to film it a little slower because it is you know, Max in this gigantic car coming right up on the back tire of Toe Cutter's motorcycle. And so as he's speeding forward, we start to, well, it's, it's not so much appropriate to say we start to, but we get the first shot of looking at Max 
through the windshield of the black on black to the left side of the blower. And it's an interesting shot because you just see the hood, Max behind the wheel, and then the sky behind it. You don't see the ground or anything on either side. And the car's kind of rocking a little bit, just side to side, and he's got his hands on the uh, steering wheel. And David Egby, in the crew commentary, was positively delighted. You could hear it in his voice when he shared that all of those specific shots is just the black-on-black sitting still. They've got the camera on the hood, and he's just got other crew members outside of the frame rocking the car back and forth to simulate driving. (laughs) Gotta love movie magic. Yeah. (laughs) I should mention, we've referenced the crew commentary so many times and i've never actually mentioned who specifically is in the commentary it's made up of john dowding the art director uh david egby the director of photography chris murray from special effects and tim ridge who is the writer producer director and editor of the madness of max documentary and i i have to say like it feels like at least half of that commentary is just david egby calling out this is a crane shot this is a dolly shot. This is a wide angle lens. I mean, they recorded it like 25 years after they shot the movie. <laughs> and when you watch still... it, you get to the credits and they're like, holy cow, we always remember that. How's that? How do you, uh, how do you guys feel about commentary tracks like that? Where it's very uh, technical ori- technically oriented and so on. I guess in this case, it sounds like you liked it. I think for me, mm, I did get a little uh, bored, I guess. I feel bad <laughs> saying I got bored by it. But the technical talk, it, it doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I did I'm, more, appreciate I'm more in that the, camp. Yeah. They did have some like fun anecdotal behind the scenes type stuff in the commentary as well, which kind of rescued it for me. Mm-hmm. But those moments when they were like, yep, yeah, crane shot tracking shot guy strapped to the hood of the car shot yeah can barely keep my eyes open through this commentary shot yes <laughs> i for one totally go for that stuff but then again as i've let slip several times over the course of the podcast like that's kind of what i do like i'm an av tech by trade and so all those little technical things just jump out at me and it's great because you can kind of picture it in your head the process as they're talking about setting up this shot where they, d- they didn't even have to be out on the road. They could just park the black-on-black somewhere, get three or four guys, and just bolt the camera down and say, all right, roll it, start rocking. <laughs> you yes. just have a couple of grips on either side just kind of pushing at the fender. And we see this specific shot like three times in this minute. Yeah, well, it's a lot cheaper to do this kind of shot than doing a going 100 miles an hour shot mm-hmm. with a guy strapped to the hood of the car. <laughs> say, yeah, they've had shots before where they actually took David Egby, they tied him to a stuntman, and they jumped on a motorcycle, and they went like 180 kilometers an hour around these turns and whatnot. And it's just him held on with just a length of rope, essentially. (laughs) Strapped up there with a 40-pound camera on his shoulder. Australian safety rules, clearly a lot looser than than American ones. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no blue screens here. So we get a couple more shots of the black-on-black speeding down the road, trying its best to catch up with the tow cutter. And we get to a point where Max's car is, like, inches away from the tow cutter's rear wheel. Like, right up there. And, of course, he's got the siren going. He's got the noise of the engine and the supercharger. Like, tow cutter is pretty much impossible to ignore how close Max is behind him. And at this point in the movie, I couldn't help but recognize that this maneuver right here, 
this extreme tailgating, as I like to refer to it, is a direct callback, or maybe not a callback, but a direct reference to the opening chase of the movie when Max was chasing the Knight Rider. His number one move was to play high-speed chicken, and then his number two move was to do this extreme tailgating. And I couldn't help but think, everyone talks about how Max, how he's an excellent driver, and I have to wonder, is he actually a good driver, or does he just have, like, one or two tried-and-true moves that just work every time? Hmm. Well, I think, well, what's the difference? An excellent driver has a certain set of skills, and... (laughs) They use them to great effect. So I think those two statements are one and the same. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good driver because he has command of these skills, which we've seen him use over and over again throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Now, when I think of people that are like lauded for their ability to pilot things, the obvious answer to roll back on, and you know, Alex, we're going to use your expertise here. You think of someone like Anakin Skywalker, how Obi-Wan is like, oh, your father was an amazing pilot. Mm -hmm. And we see over the course of the movies when Anakin is behind the controls of a ship. I mean, I don't know if your professional opinion would agree, but I feel like he's able to adapt and master several different types of maneuvers over the course of the films. I would say that is an accurate uh accurate description yeah i feel like if you put if you dropped mad max into the star wars universe (laughs) and said okay here's a ship go fly it he might fly that one ship really well and people say oh well he's a really good pilot but then if you drop him into a different type of ship he could be absolute garbage at it and i feel like that would sully his reputation so max Max is good at one thing, and he's really good at that one thing. Yeah. I think that's actually much more reflective of... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's much more reflective of most people, where most of us are good, really good at a couple of things. You know, our professions, our hobbies, and you ask us to do, like, okay, I am a medical biller. I'm good at it. But if you ask me to do some other kind of billing, I'm not going to be good at it because I'm good at medical billing. So Max not having... So I think he's normal. Yeah. So him not having the full gamut of driving abilities doesn't diminish the fact that he's really good at driving this specific vehicle? Yes. Okay. I can get on board with that. I might have been a little too uh, critical at the beginning (laughs) there. Be like, well, if you're going to be the very best like no one ever was, like, you know, let's pick more than one type. Well, we really have to see him, uh, you know, we have to see him tested more on different vehicles, different, uh, you know, situations yeah. before we, you know, he's obviously very good at driving in dry desert conditions, but I don't know if he would be so good driving in, say, a tropical rainforest or mm-hmm. uh, deciduous forest, something like that. Yeah, we never get to see him drive in any other condition other than <laughs> dry. I lost track of, like where humanity is at this moment like things are clearly falling apart but not so like there's still cops and paved roads and all that stuff what's the deal with the uh what's the deal with the world we're in well that's a little bit up for debate it's not made exactly clear to us the rest of the mad max movies are obviously post-apocalyptic and they were they were created to look post-apocalyptic This movie wasn't necessarily supposed to be post-apocalyptic. It looks this way because that's what George Miller could afford. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so he kind of rolled with it. Yeah. So there's no official... I think, what's the... The uh, label in the very beginning of the movie. Oh, it says a few years from now. A few years from now. Yeah. And kind of what we interpreted that as being is kind of like, it's not post-apocalyptic. It's kind of slightly pre-apocalyptic. I think it's like during. Yeah. Like society is starting to fall apart. Resources are beginning to become limited. But there is still some sort of government. There's still police. There's still a court system. Yeah. They have the advantage of being on an island continent. So if the rest of the world is currently blowing up and going to war with itself, they have, you know, a little bit of isolation that they can take advantage of. Right. We get no indication whatsoever of what the rest of the world Yeah. Not is until like. the first couple of minutes of the next movie. Okay. As I say, I've been starting to look at Road Warrior. It's been a really long so time since end. I've watched Road Warrior. So honestly, I, I don't even remember how it starts. <laughs> long time. I just say, it, uh, Road Warrior does an excellent job of catching people up to where the story begins. And I think that's a big reason why most people just go straight to Road Warrior. As opposed to going back to Mad Max to get Max's backstory. Because there is such an in-depth uh, prologue for the second movie. I think the entire first week of Road Warrior is going to be us talking about the prologue. <laughs> so in the prologue, again, it's been a long time since I've seen Road Warrior. In the prologue, do they communicate at all about Max's history? In very vague terms. Do you remember what they say? Not specifically, because okay. I don't have it written down, though. Okay. I mean... I'm just curious, because I know a lot of people skip this movie, and this wasn't my first Mad Max movie. I watched Thunderdome first. And so a lot of people don't go back and watch Mad Max. But now that we are nearly through it, I can't imagine moving forward with, with Max and his various adventures without having such in-depth knowledge of why he is the way he is. Mm -hmm. Now, Alex, you actually admitted to me when we first started emailing back and forth like a month ago that you'd never actually sat down and watched this movie at all. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I saw Road Warrior first on the cable in the 80s mm -hmm. and loved it. And so naturally I was like, oh, there's this other movie called Mad Max. And I went to watch it and it just seemed very kind of dull and slow paced and low budget in comparison. Weirdly, one of the the only scene I remember from it is the scene coming up later in this week with the guy in the, uh, with the, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the guy with the, the hacksaw in the car accident. Mm -hmm. Oh, coming yeah. Up. So it's weird that that was the, uh, that's the only part I remember. But I, I watching the movie, I was like, ah, eh, this just seems slow paced and boring so um but i and i never went and re revisited it since i was you know 15 years old or something so um and uh yeah i say julia that sounds kind of close to what you initially thought of it yeah yeah i think the first time i watched it i was bored i wasn't really paying attention the it was honestly it was the opening chase with the knight rider i had a hard time getting through it yeah i just didn't find it interesting but i wasn't paying attention so going through it now minute by minute i found it much more fascinating because I was paying attention. <laughs> uh, and it also reminds me of video, video game series mm -hmm. where the technology progresses throughout. Well, then you love the storyline of the first one. So you want to go back and play it and you play it and you're like, this is horrific. The graphics are awful. The mechanics are awful. <laughs> Like it's it's just really hard to go backwards, and especially during this time period in filmmaking, 
we made such progress. Things looked so much better and cleaner and special effects. And yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they had such a shoestring budget. I yeah, mean, budget alone. <laughs> yes, I, I guess. And also, it's not the kind of thing where like you have to you have to watch it. Because like you said, the beginning of Road Warrior, the, the movies all kind of seem to start with a, a kind of... Uh, prologue that really sets up kind of everything you need to know for the movie you're about to watch so it's not like you really have to watch uh you know have to watch it to understand what's going on yeah i think that's one of the main benefits of george miller handling the mad max series as kind of a set of anthology films Mm -hmm. where each one follows max in a different situation where it doesn't necessarily have to flow one into the other Mm -hmm. you know it's almost episodic as opposed to serialized if, yes. I'm, if I'm using those TV terms correctly <laughs> um, I won't tell if you won't yeah, there we go so cutting back to the minute Toe Cutter is got Max right on his butt he turns around sees the black on black literally right there and then Toe Cutter decides okay well I'm on a motorcycle maybe I should you know turn the throttle a little bit and speed up and so that's what he does and as we see Toe Cutter pull away from Max my thought is about top speed ratings and so i jumped on a couple of specification websites and i found that the motorcycle toe cutter is using the kawasaki kz 1000 has a top speed of 132 miles per hour which is about 212 kilometers per hour and then the car that max is driving the xb gt ford falcon coupe has a top speed of only 120 miles per hour or 193 kilometers per hour However, those are based on stock parts. Max has this giant supercharger sticking out the top of his V8 engine. And so based on that alone, not take, keep it, taking into account any modifications Toe Cutter might have made, but Max is more than equipped to keep pace with Toe Cutter, which is exactly what we see because as Toe Cutter pulls away, Max starts speeding up to get right along with him. Yeah, I was a little... I wondered about this moment a little bit. Toe Cutter has to assume that Max is coming after him based on their scene back at the where they had set the trap. Right. Why wasn't he already going all out? How did he have more to give? Shouldn't he have already been giving everything? Well, like we said at the beginning of this minute, he had probably about a three to four mile lead. So you think he relaxed a little? So he probably relaxed a little, and then when he finally found that Max was behind him again, that probably surprised him a little bit. <laughs> so you think that moment was the first time he realized Max was even there, following him at all? I say there's a in quick vicinity. There's a quick instance in the sped up shot where Toe Cutter looks behind him, and then there's another instance of Toe Cutter looking behind him when Max is right on his tail. Um, because comedy comes in threes, there's actually a third time that Toe Cutter looks behind him. Uh, but that's after we get a shot of the road ahead with this giant 18-wheeler coming up over the one of the rises in the road. Yeah. In this shot, I could not help but notice the dividing line on the road was two solid lines. Mm-hmm. For a very good reason, because you cannot see oncoming traffic. No. And if they hadn't been all driving down the middle of the road, a certain someone would still be alive. Okay, so we caught flack earlier in this movie by having the audacity of asking the question what side of the road do australians drive on now the answer they drive on the left side of the road because their steering wheels are on the right side of the car easy but we never see a normal driving situation because half the time everybody's driving down the middle of the road 
<laughs> like, yeah, again, Law and Order is kind of breaking down in this kind of... Uh, oh, you're saying just as strictly as a defense for not knowing which side people drive on. Exactly. Yeah, we're never we're never shown the correct answer. And everybody... we So we have three vehicles on the road, the semi, max, and tow cutter, and they're all driving down the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Just as pretty as you please. Yeah. Uh, and also, I'm trying to see if Max... does it, Is Max wearing a seatbelt in any of this? Oh, of course not. I doubt it. No. Hmm. Which kind of makes sense because when his buddy Goose died, Goose died wearing a seatbelt. Hmm. I mean, the truck he was in was on fire, sure, but Goose was wearing a seatbelt when he died, so it would make sense that Max would decide not to wear a seatbelt again, just, you know, because he doesn't want to get caught in that same situation. Right, I mean, even though statistically it'll probably help him because... <laughs> You know, most accidents he's going to be in, a seatbelt would come in handy. But because of the anecdotal evidence of having one friend of his who'd burned, that's enough for him. Exactly. You know, not flying out the windshield is one thing. But, you know, what if after the crash, you've still got your seatbelt on and a bunch of gang members come over and light your vehicle on fire? You don't want to be chained down at that point. (laughs) They don't mention that in any of these. Go ahead. It reminds me way back in the beginning of the movie when Goose is in the diner. He's telling the story. Uh, something about a guy going through the front windshield and his, and then he, he, he then hits a tree or something, if I remember right. And he, his face was like ripped off by the glass of the windshield. Yeah. I'm like, well, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Sitting there screaming without a face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh at things like that. It's rather gory. <laughs> it's just a movie. Just keep telling yourself it's just a movie. Just exactly. A movie. So Toe Cutter, like I said, is looking back at this giant car behind him. He doesn't notice the giant truck ahead of him. When he finally turns to look at the truck, I counted. And there are probably about a solid two seconds between Toe Cutter first seeing the truck and Toe Cutter making contact with the truck. And what does he do but rip to put his hand across his face and rip off his goggles? And I'm like, interesting choice. Not what I would have done. Certainly not. I (laughs) pulled out a piece of paper and I started doing math, which is something that is very out of character for me. And I calculated that in that two seconds, if he was going all out at 132 miles an hour, he covered about 387 feet, almost two and a half American football fields or 117 meters for everybody else in the world. But that is so much room to maneuver, to do something smart. (laughs) And he spends that time ripping off his goggles and going all bug-eyed. And I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? Well, especially since he's on totally flat ground on a motorcycle. Like, exactly. Drive off the road, you dummy. Like, what, he's, a- what, he doesn't want to break the law? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he is being followed by a police officer. He doesn't want to get a ticket. But it's like, okay, the truck is driving down the middle of the road. There is pavement on either side. And I'm not saying that I wanted the series to be over at this point and that mm-hmm. Toe Cutter should have just gone to the side of the truck and let Max go head head on into the truck. But at the same time, he didn't necessarily have to get hit by the truck. It's just poor, poor choice of actions. And another thing that bothers me about the idea of ripping off goggles when you're going 132 miles an hour is how dry his eyes would get. Like, all that wind hitting him... Well, his when we get an, a close-up shot of his eyes bugging out, they are quite red and oh, irritated. Yeah. So, like, yeah. He needs some uh, Ben Stein to come in with some clear eyes. Be <laughs> <laughs> a sponsor. When you have dry, yeah. irritated eyes, and you're about to get hit by a truck, use clear eyes. <laughs> That's a good one. So, Max, I know for me and my observing and in my notes, I kind of lose him. Oh, yeah. 
And I don't see him, I don't notice him again until the next minute. But it occurs to me that he took that two seconds, that however many feet, and he swerved out of the way. Mm-hmm. He, he was right behind Toe Cutter, and he was able to get away safely. Mm-hmm. Not a scratch on his car. So yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a moment at the beginning of tomorrow's minute where I'm like, all right, there's some tomfoolery going on here, but there's plenty of time to talk about that tomorrow. Yeah. What I want to focus on today is just how spectacular this crash is between Toe Cutter and the front of this truck. <laughs> because <laughs> like you said, Alex, it's one of the most iconic shots of this entire movie, for yes. sure. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It's a great stunt. <laughs> yeah. It kind of reminds me, and half the time I'm t- thinking about Mad Max, half the time I'm thinking about Star Wars, so I have ulterior motives of bringing you on the show, but it reminds me of the pod racing scene in episode one. You have that one pod racer who goes into the stalactite, and he does this little like, until he, before he blows up, and I feel like <laughs> if, if Toe Cutter had made a noise before he hit that truck, it probably would have sounded very similar to that. <laughs> This this high-pitched squeal before he was absolutely just flattened by tons and tons of steel. And, oh my word, just going back and watching this crash over and over again. So, to break it down fully, we get Toe Cutter's eyes bulging out. We see the truck approaching. We get another close-up of the eyes bugged out. And then we just see the front of the truck connect with Toe Cutter's motorcycle. And, of course, everybody loves to point out that... The front of the truck in this instance is a giant steel plate. The head of art department, John Dowding, he painted it up so that way the truck driver didn't have to worry about damage to his vehicle. But just the sheer amount of disintegrating that this bike (laughs) undergoes as this truck plows into it is just mind-blowing because it just starts to break apart almost instantly. I have to admit that I didn't notice the bike. I was looking at the body the whole time. Mm -hmm. And how it was like... It was just sucked underneath the car, the truck. Yeah. So it's important to say that this this stunt was achieved by driving the truck at a stationary bike with a dummy on it. Like, they didn't try and, like, move the motorcycle forward at the time. The truck just came and slammed into it, and then clever editing just came in right at the point of contact. And you can tell that the motorcycle was stationary because when they cut to the side shot of the truck obliterating the motorcycle, the front wheel kind of catches between the ground and that steel plate and it kind of skids a little bit it's not exactly how a motorcycle would necessarily react if it actually was head-on with a truck but yeah just like you said they cut to another angle and the dummy kind of slumps off to the side and starts sliding along the road and then just like a vacuum just right underneath yeah (laughs) and i think is it is it in this minute or is it in the next minute where you can actually see the dummy on, the the truck has run over it, it's starting to pull over on the side of the road, you can actually see the dummy laying on the road. Oh, it's this minute, yeah. Yeah, and like, waist down is completely flat, and then his feet are sticking up. It's It's really like, it's it's quite gruesome if you think of it as a human body. It's like something out of you framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. But, oh, it's spectacular. One thing I found interesting is that they went through all this trouble to protect the front of the truck, and they did nothing for the underside. You mean the 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 people coordinating the stunt or the driver in the universe? The the people coordinating the stunt because they put the front of 
the false front on there to protect damage to the front of the truck that they were borrowing. But as the bike gets sucked under, you can see this 18-wheeler jostling around as it goes over this motorcycle. And it's like, they never talk about putting any reinforcement on the bottom to keep stuff from getting damaged and pulled out of the undercarriage of this truck. Because there's a lot of movement going on here, rocking side to side and up and over things. And Well, are the undersides of semis like that protected anyways? Because they do travel at high speeds constantly. And they're never you're never going to access that stuff from underneath. It's not like a car that you're going to put up on a lift. All that access is going to be from the top. Mm, so is there maybe protection underneath there anyways? Because that's an, an incredibly expensive piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. They probably play, paid that guy in a flat of beer like they paid everybody else. Yeah. And they probably did not have insurance on, on that truck if they accidentally damaged it. So I... I cannot imagine that the driver, that the owner of the truck didn't plan on that eventuality. Yeah, good point. Um, quick fun fact about the name of Toe Cutter. Um, it's shared with a piece of industrial slaughterhouse equipment that's re- used to remove the feet of pigs that are about to be slaughtered. Or in the process of being slaughtered, I should say. <laughs> so, do, you, do you think that tool and its specific use on pigs... Has anything to do with Toe Cutter getting that name? I say, considering Toe Cutter's deep-seated hatred of all police and the idea that a Toe Cutter is an industrial piece that removes pig feet, I think that's pretty spot on. Although, hmm. we haven't heard them use the term pig to, to refer to cops. Hmm. Very true. They only ever use the term bronze. I, say, I might just be making connections where none exist, but... That's what if we I, do here I say, if I Mad never Max did that... Minute. If I never did that, it would, we wouldn't have near as much material. So we kind of end this minute with seeing Max again. We're going to pick up with him tomorrow when we come back. You know, Alex, for people that have never heard Star Wars Minute before, where uh, where can they get on that bandwagon? Well, it's easy enough. If uh, Probably the quickest thing is to just go to StarWarsMinute.com next time you're on the internet. But we are also on iTunes and other various uh, places uh, where you could podcast. We're, we're, we're on the internets. We're uh, Twitter, Star Wars Minute, all those places. Nice. And hopefully we'll find you here tomorrow. Uh, I'll check. I'm going to see. Uh, I left my uh, semi-truck parked outside. Hopefully it's still there. So uh, and I'll... <laughs> We'll be back tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed and uh, keep my eyes squarely inside my head. In the meantime, our <laughs> listeners can go to our website, which is madmaxminute.com. They can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook, and join our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 86. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, no it's short